0: or joining a church. Rather, it is a moment of dramatic personal encounter. A boundary had been crossed. She had come into a world, or into a person, or into the presence of a person. Something expectant, patient, inexorable met her with no veil or protection between. In this height and depth and breadth the little idea of herself, which she had hitherto called me, dropped down and vanished, unfluttering into bottomless distance, like a bird in a space without air. In these passages, and many others like them, we see that the common image of Lewis as a proponent of rational religion does not do justice to the complexity of the man. Lewis's spiritual intuition was every bit as powerful as his intellect. For him, Christian faith was not merely a set of religious beliefs or institutional customs or moral traditions. It was rather the recognition of a profound cosmic drama, an ongoing struggle between good and evil, in unseen places, in our own workaday world, and in every human heart. Into the region of awe explores the often overlooked mystical side of C.S. Lewis, It traces the mystical elements in his own life, including his lifelong experiences of what he called joy, as well as the mystical door he envisioned in 1929 at the moment he entered into the household of faith. Into the region of awe also reveals Lewis's wide reading in Christian mystical tradition, including Augustine, Bernard of Clairvaux, Julian of Norwich, as well as lesser-known works such as The Cloud of Unknowing, and the scale of perfection. Some mystical texts Lewis later set aside as heretical or needlessly obscure, but others he quoted in his own books and recommended for meditative reading. Generally, Lewis did not highlight his interest in Christian mysticism. He knew that many of his fellow believers misunderstood or mistrusted claims of personal encounters with the divine, and he studiously tried to avoid topics that separate Christians, focusing instead on beliefs they can celebrate together. But a survey of Lewis's letters, some unpublished, Theological meditations and works of fiction show that the spiritual vitality of his books derives in no small measure from his own mystical intuitions and from his broad reading in Christian mysticism. Mysticism, Eastern and Western, Ancient and Modern, is a vast topic that could fill many volumes. In her classic study, Mysticism, 1911, Evelyn Underhill provides five hundred pages of incisive analysis and then apologizes for offering such a limited overview. Since then there have been over a hundred new books published on the subject, both from its defenders and detractors. It is beyond the scope of this book to examine twenty centuries of Christian mysticism— Our purpose here is to examine C.S. Lewis's interest in mysticism, how it shaped his faith and contributed to his worldview. G.K. Chesterton believed that the morbid logician seeks to make everything lucid and succeeds in making everything mysterious. The mystic allows one thing to be mysterious, and everything else becomes lucid. Lewis was part logician, part mystic. And his books offer a unique blend of charisma and clarity, of explaining what can be known, while exploring the unknown and the unknowable. 1. The Mystique of Mysticism In The Perennial Philosophy, Aldous Huxley wrote that over-familiarity with Scripture may lead to— a reverential insensibility, a stupor of the Spirit, an inward deafness to the meaning of the sacred words. And surely this must be so. Otherwise Christians today could have no response but astonishment upon reading the Apostle Paul's words that we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. Romans 8.26 R.S.B does this mean that every time a harried believer offers up a halting half-considered prayer these words are lifted up translated into celestial size god speaking to god on our behalf in a modern secularized world christians are sometimes disparaged for taking the ancient words too